Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This discourse that we begin to study today, which we will be in for several weeks here, I am sure, stretches from verse 1 to 21. Now, we already mentioned, and we tied this in last week as we really um, laid some of the foundation for this, that it actually begins back in chapter 9 in verse 39, when Jesus says, it is for judgment that I came into this world. And we will look back at that as we establish some things with a greater context for just a minute this morning here in a few minutes. But we're going to begin reading in chapter 10, verse 1, with the truly, truly. Amen, amen. And we're going to read the entire discourse so we get the big picture today. And we're going to kind of look at an overview of it, a big picture kind of scenario of the discourse. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll just kind of hone in on it and break it apart into its constituent parts and study it kind of piece by piece. This is a powerful discourse by our Lord. Very vivid picture, um, obviously, in the scripture reading today. Ben read the 23rd Psalm written by King David before he was king, no doubt, when he was shepherd. And uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And we see all the figures and all the pictures in Psalm 23 almost coming to blossom and bloom in what we study today. Let's look at it today. Let's read the text. And then we'll go to our Father in a word of prayer. Truly, truly. I am saying to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and he is a robber. But he, he who enters by the door, he is the shepherd sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, then he goes in front of them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, there again, notice this verse 6, notice uh, this description of the discourse. It is a figure of speech, and we'll kind of hone in on that for a minute this morning in a few minutes. This figure of speech, speech, Jesus was using with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly. I am saying to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Notice this verse 9. This is a tremendous promise. This is a tremendous reality about, about our eternal salvation, my friend. Listen to this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved 
And he will go in and he will go out and he will find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that you may have life, that you may be saved, as we just saw, and that you may have that life more abundantly. In other words, that you will go in and you will go out and you will find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The one who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep, well, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. That man flees because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep. And these sheep are not of this fold. I must bring them too. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Notice this in verse 18. Who killed Jesus? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to pick it up again. This charge I received from my father. And again, there was a division among the Jews. Now remember that at the beginning of this discourse, verse 39, Jesus said, It is for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And Jesus teaches this, and it says, it causes division. There was a division among them. Many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And his sheep hear his voice. And those who are not his sheep, don't. Let's look to our Father in a word of prayer. Father, you gave your son authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. And then our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you, when, when you were there on the mountain before you left us, and you commissioned your disciples, you said, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. And Lord Jesus, you clearly demonstrated to us your love by laying down your life for us. That we might be saved, that we might go in and out and find pasture. I thank you, Lord.
that we might have an abundant life. That doesn't mean we have abundantly everything we want. But we have an abundant life in you. A life more abundant. Help us to see that that transcends material possessions. It transcends all the phony baloney of the here and now. It just is a reality that our inner man is being renewed day by day. That even as our outward man is growing old. As our outward man goes through difficulty. Yet our inward man has a table spread before it even in the presence of our enemies. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would draw us into your word, that we would hear the voice of Jesus, and that your children would follow him. Even though, Lord Jesus, you know we do it so imperfectly. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. About 15 years ago, it was a wonderful, beautiful early spring morning. You know, when we were singing that song, Indescribable, there was a part when it talked about the fragrance of spring. Isn't that awesome when all of a sudden you go out here in the spring and all of a sudden stuff smells again because it all thawed out, you know, and you, you smell. And, and, and the, the blossoms and the blooms that will come. And, boy, I look forward to spring. I don't know about you. I'm enjoying every day. And... Um, I sure don't want to wish my life away, but I'm looking forward to spring, and I look forward to those days. Well, it was an early spring day, early spring uh, summer day. Um, You know, we say spring. If you moved here from somewhere else, you think of spring as March. When we say spring, we're thinking about June, right? You know, so, um, you know, it was one of those kind of days, and we had turned out cattle, and we had had cattle up on the hill for a few weeks, and Amy and I and Tyler were going to saddle up one morning, going to go check cattle, and we, we, we had to throw the horses in a horse trailer. We went up to the end of the road, and we jumped on our horses, and, and, and we started up the trail. And as soon as we went around a corner, in front of the trail in front of us, lying in the trail dead, was about a 950-pound steer that somebody had shot and was in the process of butchering. We rode up. And um, here, this person had cut down a bunch of willows and had laid them on the ground and was cutting out the back strap, and just like you would an elk. And they were taking care to get all those good choice cuts, and they had them all laid out, ready to go. I'm sure they were going to put them in their backpack, and they were going to go home and have a barbecue that night, but we spoiled their fun. And as we rode up on that, you know, there was nobody there. Clearly, he had heard us coming in in the horse trailer, my old rattle trap horse trailer makes a lot of noise coming up the road. And he was, it was kind of an eerie feeling to think that somebody, you know, we found it, the guy had shot it with a seven millimeter and uh, found the casing. And um, kind of eerie to think, you know, some guys somewhere in one of these aspen groves sitting up there with a seven millimeter while we're hunkered down here looking at his handiwork. Rustling's always been a problem. That was about 
the time when we were going through a pretty difficult economy in America here again. It was the Great Recession, you know, when, uh, Great Recession, but the Bush economy when the housing bubble imploded and things were pretty tight and things were pretty tough. And I'm sure this guy, you know, he was, he was wanting to feed his family or he wanted an extra steak and, you know, things were expensive at the grocery store and it sure looked handy to take that. Didn't work out for him, but he was a thief. And he was a robber. He came to steal, to kill, to destroy. When Jesus tells this story, when Jesus develops this figure of speech, and Jesus begins it by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, uh, by the door, but he climbs up another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He is speaking in the temple complex. In front of him is a man who was blind, whom he has healed, who has now believed in him and has worshipped him. To his side are some of his disciples who are no doubt taking in the scenario. And over here on the other side are scribes and Pharisees and leaders of Judaism. And they have said to him, are we also blind? And he said, well, if you think you see, then your guilt still remains. But if you understand that you are spiritually blind, then your guilt has been removed you remember we looked at that at the end of chapter 9, and then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter into the enclosure of the sheep by the door, but he climbs up some other way. That man is a thief and a robber. And when Jesus is talking to this crowd, these Pharisees know exactly what he said. All who came before me, he says, were thieves and robbers, and my people would not listen to them. As we go into this text, as we go into this discourse, and we try to get the big picture, let's just see some of the things that I want to develop and where we're going to go. We're going to talk about this greater context again for a minute, which we already just kind of delineated here at the end of chapter 9. When Jesus, remember, the discourse itself is set in the context of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. That's why at the end of this in verse 19, when it says there was a division among the Jews, because of these words, many of them said, he is a demon. He is insane. Now let me just ask you, why would you listen to somebody teaching and saying, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep follow me. I care for my sheep. Why would you hear someone saying those kind of words, which to us who are believers are spoken with love and tenderness and beauty? Why would you hear those words and say the person who said them is insane? He's a demon. Well, the reason people say that is because they are not his sheep and they do not hear his voice. That is why you and I hear the words of Jesus and look in the pages of Scripture and we fall in deeper love with a God who, who laid down his life for us. And then the other folks in the world who do not know him read those same words 
and they bow their neck and they lift up a fist to the heavens and they say you are insane and they will not hear him that's the distinction and so Jesus said I came for judgment I came for judgment so people will render a verdict and so some say he's a demon he's insane why listen to him others said and this is the others this is the sheep who hear his voice oh these are not the words of a man who was oppressed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of a blind those are the words of the sheep I want to just take a minute and we're going to develop the difference between a parable and a proverb or as it says in verse 6 a figure of speech a figure of speech this word proverb is probably a good rendering of that as well that what we see here is an extended proverb the Greek word is paroimia just like parable is the Greek word parabolos which is a transliteration of a Greek word that we get the word parable so we have a parable and a proverb and what is the difference this is not a parable we'll look at that for just a minute in a minute and then what I really want to do today as we look at the big picture is we're going to look at a contrast we're going to look at the context not the big context in the book of John but at the context that those people understood this discourse in light of and then we're going to look at the core lesson and then we'll be done so let's run what is the difference between a parable and a parable boy that's good isn't it sorry parable and a proverb what is the difference essentially let's think about the difference this way remember Luke 15 in Luke 15 Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he gets back to the sheepfold one night gets back to the enclosure and as he counts them as they're going through the gate he notices I only have 99 what does he do does he say oh well I lost one no because he is the shepherd and he's not a hired hand the sheep are his own what does he do he goes out on the hills he leaves the 99 in the enclosure and he goes out on the hills into the night looking for the one that is lost the one that has gone astray and when he finds it he lays it upon his shoulders and he brings it with rejoicing and he says to the people in the village what look I have found my lost sheep I have found my lost sheep rejoice with me he says in the story so Luke 15 a parable let's just think of it this way it's kind of like an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning have you ever heard that little kind of definition of a parable before so maybe you have a parable like the prodigal son we can think of a lot of parables in the scripture that Jesus told that are a story and that's essentially the difference a parable has a plot to it right it is a story that is unfolding a proverb 
doesn't have a plot, if you'll notice what we read in John 21, he's not really developing a story. He's developing a figure of speech where he is taking things that they clearly understood in their everyday life, in their situation, and he is taking those things and he's kind of saying, well, what happens here at the enclosure, at the sheepfold, what happens with a gatekeeper That is all like my heavenly father. He is the gatekeeper. The enclosure he talks about. And then he talks about a shepherd. And so it's kind of a likeness. It's not a plot. So when we think about the two, the two are very distinct. Because of that, there are kind of different ways that we would do interpretive work. And so as we look at this, we're not looking at the details of a story that is unfolding. We are looking at a figure of speech, and we're saying, well, in the ancient world, a shepherd did this. And the shepherd doing this, Jesus said, is very similar to what he does. And so there's a similarity. That's what we're looking at. As we develop, let's look at the details of the proverb. First thing that I want to talk about is this contrast. The contrast is between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, if you will notice in verse 19, it says there was again a division among the Jews. In verse 40 of chapter 9, it says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him. Now, most of the time in the Gospel of John, when you see this descriptive title, the Jews, he is not just talking about Jewish people, the normal, ordinary, common person the people who just lived in the city of Jerusalem, that were just ordinary people, lay people in the crowd. Usually that title, the Jews, is a specific descriptive of these other classes of men who were leaders of the nation of Israel. They were the Jewish leaders. Among the Jewish leaders are a group of people called the Pharisees. We've talked about them before And I'm not going to do a lot of work today to talk about who the Pharisees are, where they came from, what they believed, and what they did. But they are a part of the ruling class of Israel during this time. They are part of the ruling class, and many of them are in positions of high spiritual authority. Many of them sit on the Sanhedrin. Many of them rule in the synagogues. So they are very influential. They are known as being the teachers of Israel. Also among them are scribes, those who know the Old Testament law inside and out, who can quote it in depth, who know all the nuances of every meaning. And so this is a contrast between them. Now, there are three words that Jesus uses in this that describe a contrast between himself as the good shepherd and these other folks. One of them, in verse 1, 5, and 10, he calls them thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Now, it's interesting. 
the two words are very similar, but they're not exact. The thief and the robber. The thief is the person in the Greek language who acts on his own initiative. He's a thief. He, you know, he, he just, you know, he's hungry. Maybe he needs a little money. Um, and, you know, he just goes, he's just, he's just a, he's a thief. He's a predator. He's a, he's a coyote, right? He just, you know, you got something and I want it and I'm going to go and take it when you're not looking. And he acts on his own, of his own volition. The robber, on another hand, is a different Greek word, and maybe the word that we could use to describe it is he's like the bandito. He's a part of the mob. He's a part of the gang that's living out in the hills who is laying for other people, and they have more of an organized approach to thievery, right? They're kind of running the the countryside, and they're thieving, and they're stealing, but they're doing it not as an individual. They're doing it more in an intentional and an organized way. That's the distinction here. So we have these two people being mentioned. There's a thief and a robber. They're kind of doing the same thing. They're doing it in different ways. You know, there's always been a lot of rustling that happens in the West. Like I mentioned, there's always been a lot of it. I can think of several cases where we've come up against it, not only with that one that was shot, but, you know, you know people's cattle disappearing. Um, you know, there, there was a file claimed this year out in our country for, for 10 cows that disappeared. Um, and um, it happens routinely. I don't know if you watched, saw it last year, this last year over in Gillette. Um, one of the ranchers up there, you know, he had 70 um, sheep, 70 ewes disappear from his pasture one night. Somebody backed up with a with the semi-trailer in a 2,000-acre pasture in the middle of the night, rounded up 70 sheep, got them on, a, on, on the trailer, and away they went. And it hit the, the, the uh, major media when this first happened. And you know what happened in about two weeks? 48 of them showed back up. The other ones all must have went somewhere south, but 48 of them, somebody got a guilty conscience, and they brought 48 of them back. But that was probably more of an organized. I mean, you you got to have pretty brazen guts to, in the middle of the night, back up to somebody's pasture with a semi-truck and load up 70 ewes. And by the way, you're not talking petty money. There was another guy up in Gillette that this is more along the line of this, who, you know, he was kind of hungry or whatever. And, you know, a newborn calf is maybe not quite as... I'm not giving anybody ideas here, by the way, but, you know, not quite as agile as they will later in life, but, boy, they can be good money. Maybe 500 bucks at a sale ring, no brand to worry about. A guy in Gillette went out there, there again, went into his neighbor's pasture and roped up a, new, a newborn, threw it in the, in the pickup truck with him and took it off to town and sold it at the sale barn, you know. The only way they knew anything happened was the guy dropped his flashlight. Bad day. Thieves and robbers. Hired hand. We also talk about hired hands. Hired hands in this text. There's a shepherd, and what does the shepherd do when the wolf comes? Sorry, I'm out of here. Is that what the shepherd does? No, the shepherd is willing to do what? Lay down his life for his sheep. Because they're his. The hired hand, on the other hand, flees. And then we have the wolf. 
right? The wolf. So we see three contrasts here. We're going to talk about thieves and robbers. We're going to talk about hired hands. And we're going to talk about wolves. And all of those are in direct contrast with Jesus, our Savior, who is the good shepherd. Okay, thieves and robbers. Number one, they are secretly subversive, right? When do they come? Like a, think with me, 1 Thessalonians 5. God uses the description of what's going to happen when he comes. He's going to come like a what? Thief at midday. No. Middle of the night. Thief in the night. Secretly subversive. Now, this is obviously being intended to point out to us the reality that there are always, have always been, will always be, People who will secretly try to subvert what God is doing. They will secretly seek to subvert by false teaching what God is doing. When someone is a thief or a robber, what are they doing? They are taking from the rightful owner. The sheep are the Lord's. The sheep are God's. They steal. The third thing we see is they always do what? Climb in another way. I got another way. I got a better way, my friend, right? You ever hear those kind of words? I was reading a week ago as a result of a podcast I was listening, a thing called the Phoenix Affirmations. Phoenix Phoenix affirmations were drawn up by a group of church leaders in America in the last year or two to be formulations of the belief systems of what is today being called progressive Christianity. Now, to some people, some people hear the word progressive Christianity and they think what? Oh, that sounds good. Other people hear that title and they think, that sounds to me like somebody trying to climb in another way. And that's exactly what you see in the Phoenix Affirmations. So statement number six in the Phoenix Affirmation says, and I'll just give you a paraphrase of it, it says this. Listen, as long as someone is earnestly seeking the light they have, they will find eternal salvation even if they never know the name of Jesus. It's in the Phoenix Affirmation spelled out. That, my friend, is progressive Christianity that is being drawn into the church, even as we speak, and it is secretly subversive. But people are embracing it. And it is being taught in pulpits all across America. Thieves and robbers. Always. Climb in another way. Now, let's look at some context here of this story. Because remember, it's a figure of speech. So Jesus says a shepherd. He says a gatekeeper. He says a hired hand. Thieves and robbers. And these people, 2,000 years ago, are seeing something in their mind. Aren't they? Just like if I start talking to you today about a Super Bowl... Well, you understand what that is, but go back 2,000 years ago, a Super Bowl, right? What is that? 
So what is the story here? Most of us in America today, did you know only 2% of Americans feed us? Did you know that? 2%. So we are not an agrarian country anymore. I was reading something this morning about Generation Z. And Generation Z's beliefs. And one of the things that is true about Generation Z is they live their life online. That's where their life is lived. I have a hard time understanding that because I live my life outdoors. That's just me. But Generation Z lives its life online. Total different context. Now, when we look at this context and we're thinking about somebody who lives their life online, they don't even understand what this means probably. I mean, they kind of get it, but they're kind of like what what happens in verse 7 or verse 6 when Jesus tells this figure of speech, they didn't understand what he was saying. Well, if they didn't understand what he was saying, then how are we going to understand it 2,000 years ago on a completely different 2,000 years, you know, leap ahead in a different time on a different continent living a completely different life. So let's think about what we see in the context. Number one, this is Middle Eastern. This is the geography. My friend, this is not Scotland. Right? It's not Scotland and this is not the American West, although undoubtedly because of my context, I'm going to tell you things about the American West as we go through this. This is not the American West. It is the Middle East. When you read the 23rd Psalm, and David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The reason that's amazing is because there ain't many green pastures there, right? The only place the green pastures are is where? Along still waters. You go to the hills of Scotland, it doesn't mean as much because there's just green hills everywhere, Right? So we're in a different context. There is arid, dry, geographic features with pastures, some of them green, some of them well-watered, some of them oases. But on the hills themselves, you know, most of the hills are worse grazing than the worst grazing in Wyoming, right? That's just the way it is in the Middle East. That is the context. We're thinking about the Middle East. We are thinking about Palestine. We were thinking about the first century. Okay, we're talking about people who lived in the first century, and we are talking about Judaism. We are talking, this is the culture. It is a different culture than our culture, and those shepherds practiced a certain way. Just like shepherds today practice their profession a certain way, and there are parallels, but they are not exact. Having said that, let's just think about some things in first century husbandry. Talking about animal agriculture. Here's some things that were true. Number one, this is very important to what we see in this proverb. Israel was settled and there were villages and there were cities. Right? Central locations are cities, places that were called cities of refuge. In the hill countries itself, 
Most of it is small, clannish villages. Around those villages, there are rings of property. Going out from the village itself, first of all, you come to the agriculturally productive lands that are being farmed. It goes out from the village almost like a spoke of a wheel, and these are small fields that have been developed over time, and they are being farmed. They work almost on a lease ownership relationship back into the village, don't they? Because they're on a 50-year lease that always reverts to the original owner at the time of Jubilee. But if I sold part of my agricultural land because I didn't want to farm it anymore or I was too old, I didn't have any sons, I could lease it out to my neighbor and he could farm it, but it would have to come back to me at Jubilee. So first, going out from the village, you come to these agricultural lands. People didn't live on the farm, right? Not like in America today. They didn't live on the farm. They lived in the village, and the farm was right outside the city, right outside the village. Just beyond the developed agricultural lands are the communal grazing lands, these lands that were used by the shepherds. In very similar fashion to what we see in the American West under maybe like the grazing, the Taylor Grazing Act. Uh, and leasing of federal lands to be grazed by producers here. So these lands are grazed. In the evening, in the evening, those flocks that have been taken up into the hills are either brought back to the village or go to a central location if they are far enough away in the hills to a central location in the hills that is called a fold or a courtyard, an enclosure, or in American vernacular, a corral, right? A corral. And this is where they would go. Also in this time, you know, in the American West, bands of sheep run in the thousands, don't they? In the thousands. Out in our country where we are in Stump Creek, up on the hills around where the cattle allotments are, there are sheep allotments. Um, they are always herded by Peruvians or other South Americans, and it's always fun to bump into those guys. And there will be thousands of range maggots running up there in the hills. That's my, you can tell I'm a cattle man. You know, thousands of them running around up in the hills. For every 100 of them, this is interesting, for every 100 of them there is one black sheep. Say, why? Well, that's intentional. So that sheep herder, when he gets up in the morning, can look at around at the surrounding hills, and he can count how many bands are amongst him. He can say, oh, there, I counted 10 black sheep, which tells me I have essentially all my herd. Okay, and so they are used as a, as a tool to mark the herd. And, uh, but in this day, they didn't run sheep like that. Little families, small families, they owned maybe a hundred sheep. And that's why when Jesus tells the parable of the good shepherd, he says the man had a hundred sheep. One of them did not come back. He went out looking for it. 
Okay, so that's kind of first century husbandry. So when we look here and we go into this in greater depth next week, we see this corral and every evening the shepherds would bring their sheep to the corral. And the village had a hired night watchman. And that night watchman sat at the gate. And then all the shepherds went home and they went to bed in the village. In the morning they came back and they get their sheep and they go and graze them. They bring them back at night. In Luke 2, it tells us the shepherds, though, were doing what? They were living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Only time of year that shepherds do that is when they lamb. That does date or set a specific time frame for what is going on in Luke 2. That is when a shepherd lives in the field taking care of his sheep at night is when they are lambing. Otherwise, they would bring them to the enclosure. They would go to the village and they would tuck in for the night and the gatekeeper, their hired night watchman, would care for them so no thief or robber would come. But if he was a hired man and a wolf came or a mob, what might he do? He might flee because they're not his. So here's the core lesson and then I'm done. I want to talk about the core lesson that we learn in this figure of speech about the sheep and the shepherd. And first of all, we're going to think about how do the sheep relate to their shepherd? This is going to be the core lesson for us. The sheep hear his voice. And what do they do? Follow. I don't know if you noticed how many times in the text it mentions the voice of someone. The voice of the shepherd, the voice of the stranger. The voice of the stranger, they flee because they don't know it. The voice of the shepherd, they what? Follow it. My friend, this is what he's telling us. How do you know a, 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 a you, how do you know a sheep that is in relationship to the shepherd, Jesus Christ? What it happens? He hears his voice and he follows. Amen. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. When you read the scripture, is it a dead book to you? I'm not saying every time you pick it up, it's like, you know, fireworks in your soul. But if you never pick up the word and you hear the voice of God through it to you, examine your life. My sheep hear my voice. And no matter how imperfectly we do it, we do what? We follow. Going the other direction, we would say the core lesson is this. The shepherd to his sheep. This is the core lesson we're going to see. Number one, Jesus knows his sheep. We're going to develop that. He knows what? Their name. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. And then the third thing that we're going to tie into this is Jesus' example then sets the pattern all through the New Testament for leadership in his church. That is why the word pastor means what? 
shepherd. So Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. Now, first thing I'll just say here real quick about him knowing his sheep. Jesus knows us because he's omniscient, right? Jesus doesn't have to stand at the door and learn your name. He knows it. How do we? How do we know? Well, we know because we learn. And how do you learn? How do you come to know someone? Think about it. Number one, it takes time, right? You have to invest time. You cannot know people. You cannot know someone unless you invest time in their life. Number two, don't talk about yourself. Ask questions. If you want to get to know somebody else, don't go and talk about yourself. Go and ask some intelligent questions about their life. And then you listen. Right? That's how you get to know somebody. When you went on a date for the first time with your spouse, guys, you wanted to find everything about her. And everything about her was special. And you got to know her. Jesus cares for a sheep, and that is chiefly demonstrated by this. He dies for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. And he says, I am the door. By me, if you will go in, then you will go in and out. You will be saved. And you will go in and out, and you will find pasture. When you are looking at your eternal destiny, what are you trusting? Is it Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to see that there is salvation in none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Father, if someone comes to us and they say to us, I have a better way, I have a new thing, God has given me this, help us to recognize and to realize that that is a spirit, not of God, but it is someone climbing in another way. It's a thief and a robber come to steal, to kill, to destroy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know us. You know us by name. You know everything about us. And yet you have called us to yourself and we are your children. You have chosen us. Speak and we will listen. And Father, we will follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.